I remember in third grade grammar class learning about run-on sentences. Do any of you remember about run-on sentences? How many of you deal with run-on sentences on a regular basis? Oh, some of you are in the business of run-on sentences. A few of you might be English teachers or professors that receive papers with sentences that more resemble paragraphs than the pithy, terse, and succinct statements of a well-crafted piece of writing. That's just my guess. Those are the three words that my one of my favorite professors in college would use to describe how he wanted us to write pithy, terse, and succinct. He would say over and again, over and again, pithy, terse, succinct. Pithy, terse, terse, succinct, Jonathan. If you have a thesaurus handy, that means that he wanted our papers, even our sentences, to be brief and to the point. This particular professor would dock us points in our research methods class if we had sentences that were longer than 20 words. His favorite thing to do, though, and I love this professor, by the way. He was one of my favorites in, in all of college was he would take the sentences that we had written in our papers and use them as examples on the board of what not to do. (laughs) It's nothing like a little humiliation to really get the point home. You know, whenever you first hear a professor say no sentence is longer than 20 words, um, you begin to think that perhaps that professor doesn't want to read all that you have to say. Or perhaps you begin to think this is going to be really easy because crafting short sentences should be really simple. But the truth is, word conservation is very, very hard. You know this if you've ever tried to write something with a a maximum word length. If you've had to write a column for a newspaper, you understand that keeping it under 400 words is pretty, pretty tough. Mark, in his gospel, has no problem with word conservation. Mark is direct and to the point. After all, nine verses cover the first 33 years of Jesus' life. Did you catch that in our text this morning, choir? That Jesus' whole life up until the point of his baptism at age 33 is covered in the first eight verses, verses 1 to 8. There's nothing about his birth. There's nothing about his family. Nothing about where he comes from. Just as verse 1, 1 puts it, that this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then a short quotation from Isaiah, the introduction to John, and then the passage we have before us this morning, Mark 1, 9 to 13. Did you know that the Sermon on the Mount's not even included in Mark's Gospel? Talk about short and to the point. And it's interesting to me that immediately following the moment of Jesus' baptism in the text that we have this morning, the Spirit of God, after descending on Jesus and the heavens being rent asunder, as the King James says, and the voice of God is heard proclaiming that this is God's beloved Son, immediately following this moment of God's claiming, this moment of ordination, this moment of coronation, Mark tells us, that immediately Jesus is sent out into the wilderness. And then he tells us in two verses, verses 12 and 13, that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. Now, if, if you happen to have read Matthew or Luke, you know that their version of, of this story is much, much longer. 
You know, Mark doesn't record the challenges that come in a confrontation with the devil, only that Satan tempted him. In fact, what Mark writes in these two verses takes Matthew 21 verses to record and Luke 30 plus verses to say. But just because Mark's version is short and to the point doesn't mean that we get to skip over it. Because these two verses are packed with meaning and significance. You can't get to the rest of the gospel without moving carefully through verses 12 and 13 of Mark chapter 1. Mark has put a lot into a very small amount of words. And if we are not careful, we can miss the beauty of the gospel here. The first thing that we notice about verse 12 is that after Jesus' baptism, Jesus is driven again into the wilderness, into the wild, untamed countryside, a place far removed from the comforts of home and the company of friends. The wilderness, as you probably know, in ancient Israel and Judea, would have been a dry and parched desert place. It would have been a wild place. The desert, after all, is an incredibly frightening place. After all, the wilderness is where the wild things are. It's where the spirits reside. It's where robbers and thieves hide out. In the wilderness, starvation, dehydration, and even death are very real possibilities. No one lives in the wilderness. No one ventures very far by themselves out into the desert. But anyone who's walked for very long in this life can speak of a time when they found themselves driven into the wilderness. Have you ever been driven into the wilderness? Have you ever been pushed out into a dry and barren and lonely place in your life? At one point or another, we can all tell the story of the times that we have spent in our own private wildernesses. We all have had that desolate place or that desolate time in our lives when we've had to deal with struggles and temptations and snares. We've all been in crooked places and valleys so low that we thought that we would never get out. We've all walked through our own private wildernesses, haven't we? The truth is some of us are wandering through those wildernesses right now. I'm not just talking about some spiritual place, some spiritual state of being. I'm talking about the real wildernesses of life. It may be a dying marriage or a dying loved one, and suddenly we find ourselves thrust out into the wilderness. It might be a lost child or a lost job, and suddenly we are pushed out into the barren, dry places of our life. It might be that we are fighting for our health or we're fighting against a system. Maybe we're involved in conflict. Maybe we're caught in church conflict or family conflict, and suddenly we're thrust out into the wilderness where we're tried. And we're tempted and tested on every side where it feels like we're going to be devoured by wild beasts. We are set out into a place where desperation becomes our traveling partner. We all know about the wilderness, don't we? We've all lived in the wilderness at one point or another. We know every tree, every bush, 
every rock, hill, and valley in the wilderness if we're really honest with ourselves. We know the dry and barren places. We all know the pain of loneliness and desperation. And we can let those feelings and the situations that thrust us out into the wilderness overcome us and destroy us, or we can allow our wildernesses to form us for where God would have us go in the future. See, here's something we need to remember about the wilderness. That what seems to be a trying situation can actually be a chance for us to experience triumph. And that what seems to be a mess can actually be an opportunity for a miracle to happen. Good news begins in the wilderness. Good news begins in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness we find ourselves and we're prepared for what is to come. That's what happened to Jesus. His journey into the wilderness wasn't easy. It wasn't stress-free. He had no food, no water. There was no comfort in that place. Yet, in the midst of the trials and temptations of the wilderness, Jesus, He connects not only with Himself and His identity, but with God as well. In the wilderness, Jesus is prepared for His ministry And he emerges from the desert with his eyes set on God's mission of salvation and redemption through the cross. Did you know in the early church, people used to journey out into the wilderness, especially into the desert, to imitate Christ. In fact, you can can buy a book, uh, you can buy several books actually, called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers, these men and women who went out into the wild wilderness of Egypt, into the deserts of Egypt to imitate Christ and to find something that they couldn't find in the midst of their community or their congregation. And that is solitude. Because in the solitude of the wilderness, in that place where things are tough and trying, they were able to see themselves for who they really were. These weren't Christian retreat weekends put on by the early church with great speakers and some awesome worship bands. These were hardcore pilgrimages to desolate places, to caves and abandoned spots so that God could have room to speak into the lives of these early Christians. And I believe, like these early Christians did, that sometimes it takes going into the wilderness. Sometimes it takes a wilderness experience for us to become attuned to God's voice speaking and revealing to us the condition of our hearts. Have you ever noticed when you're walking through those hard times, those wildernesses of life, how clearly you can see yourself, your priorities, and who you really are and what you're really about. The wildernesses of life give us the opportunity to examine ourselves. The wildernesses reveal our inner motives, what really drives us. It's in the wilderness where we face trials and temptations and struggles that we become more attuned to the voice of God because in the solitude of the wilderness, there is no other voice that matters. There is no other voice that comforts besides the voice of God. In the wilderness, Jesus centers himself on God. In the wilderness... Jesus trusts God to provide for his every need in the wilderness. 
the wildernesses of our lives. They provide us the very same opportunities to find a renewed sense of vision, identity, and purpose. I think this is why over and over again, throughout Jesus' life and ministry, we see him slipping off up the mountain to be alone or down in the valley to be by himself or out by the seashore. Because Jesus understands that solitude and the wilderness gives him the opportunity to connect with himself and to reconnect with God. The wildernesses of our life, they give us the opportunity to examine our hearts. And they also prepare us for what is to come. But we don't often think of wildernesses this way, do we? We don't often think of the barren places in our lives as moments where we are being shaped and transformed by God. But that is just what's happening if we trust God with our lives as we walk through the wilderness. The truth is that none of us, when we leave the wildernesses of life, leave unchanged. And if in those hard times, in those struggles, in those moments of pain, if we center ourselves on God, we emerge from that place And from those times, with a story to tell, with good news to bring to the world, when you and I leave wildernesses, we are transformed and we have something to share with the world because we emerge with clarity about who we are and who we are called to be in this world. What wildernesses have you walked through? Maybe you've dealt with cancer. And now you're prepared to help somebody who's walking through that very same wilderness. Maybe you've struggled with depression. And you can relate with someone who is suffering with depression now. Maybe you've lost a child or a parent or a loved one. And you've been through the wilderness of grief. And now you're prepared to love and lift up and support a family that's grieving. Maybe you've been through a divorce or through a broken relationship and now you're prepared to help somebody who's walking through that very same wilderness. Whatever your wilderness is, it's a time of preparation for what is to come. It's a time to reconnect yourself to God and for God to prepare you for your ministry in the world so that you can go forth from that barren place and to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is real and it's here. Good news begins in the wilderness. And there's hope for us even there. After all, it was in the wilderness where Abraham heard the voice of God. It was in the wilderness where Moses was called and prepared to lead the people of Israel to freedom. It was in the wilderness that the Israelites found their identity, and it was in the wilderness where Jesus comes face to face with temptation and overcomes it. Yes, the wilderness is a dry, barren, and unforgiving place. But the wilderness of Lent, the wildernesses of our lives, allow us the opportunity to see ourselves for who we are and for God to prepare us 
for what's to come. Some churches don't have their font at the front of the sanctuary up in the chancel. They actually have the font in the center of the sanctuary. Have you ever been in a church that's built like this? During the season of Lent, as a reminder of the dryness and barrenness of this time, the font is allowed to dry. The water is not replaced in it. As a reminder of the time that we're entering into, a time of reflection, a time of repentance, a time when we can discern who God is calling us to be as we head toward Easter, toward the resurrection of our Savior. But for now, we journey in the wilderness together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know the wilderness. We know loneliness. We know suffering and we know pain. Help us to trust you in the midst of the wildernesses of our lives. Help us to focus on you throughout these 40 days of Lent as you prepare us for what you would have us to do and who you would have us to be as individuals and as your church. Lord, let us put our full trust and hope in you. Strengthen us. Give us your peace and your courage as we seek to be faithful followers of you. Lord, we trust you, and we thank you for all that you are doing in us. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.